0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Lancet Respiratory Medicine podcast. My name is Nikolai Humphreys. On today's episode, we will be discussing a review on HIV-associated obstructive lung disease. I'm joined on the line by Dr. Brad Drummond. Hi, Brad. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Nikolai. It's great to be here. Let's jump straight into things. I'm going to ask you a few questions. The first one is, could you give us an outline of the review and why you chose this topic to cover?
1: Absolutely. So this review summarizes the epidemiologic, physiologic, and treatment implications of obstructive lung diseases among HIV-infected individuals. And this is relevant because with the introduction of antiretroviral therapy to treat HIV infection, the HIV epidemic has really undergone a tremendous shift in life expectancy, with now that nearly half of all HIV-infected individuals are older than the age of 50. So along with this improved life expectancy, there has been new data supporting an increased prevalence of obstructive lung diseases among HIV-infected individuals, and these include things like asthma and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. So we chose to review the topic of obstructive lung diseases among HIV-infected individuals for several reasons. First, we felt it useful to summarize both the recent epidemiologic and physiologic or pulmonary function testing data in a single publication to allow readers easy access to these data. Second, we recognize that infectious disease physicians and general practitioners are often tasked with treating both HIV and lung disease, and this review has a clinical focus to help us ensure that these patients are treated appropriately for these specialists. And last, we wanted to highlight what we feel are the current gaps in knowledge about HIV-associated obstructive lung disease to really help focus future research directions for those who study these comorbid diseases. So to that end, the review is really divided into three main sections. First, we describe the epidemiological evidence for increased asthma and COPD prevalence in the era of effective HIV therapy. We highlighted asthma's prevalent in populations with HIV infection, but the current epidemiological studies are really limited in their ability to determine a causal relationship between these two diseases. Uh, we then review the, the data describing the association between HIV infection and increased prevalence of COPD. The second section of the review summarizes the data describing the effect of HIV infection on different pulmonary function measures. So these include things like spirometry, lung volumes, diffusion impairment, bronchial hyperreactivity, and bronchodilator response. We also briefly touched on the limited data regarding the implications of HIV infection on interpreting CAT scans performed for lung cancer screening. And then the final section of the review takes a more practical clinical focus discussing specific pharmacotherapy considerations among HIV-infected individuals with obstructive lung disease, including considerations for drug-drug interaction and the need for heightened vigilance for screening for obstructive lung disease in HIV-infected populations. And then we conclude the review with a discussion of the key knowledge gaps in future research directions in the field of HIV-associated obstructive lung disease.
0: Thanks, Brad. That was a really nice summary. Could you tell us what your review shows us about how antiretroviral therapy has changed the prevalence of and treatment of obstructive lung disease in patients with HIV. Absolutely.
1: So prior to the introduction of effective antiretroviral therapy in the mid-1990s, the predominant pulmonary complications of HIV were related to infections. But even early in the epidemic, it was recognized that diffusion impairments were common in HIV-infected individuals, and this appeared to be independent of opportunistic infections. Now, since the introduction of effective antiretroviral therapy, again, because HIV-infected individuals are living much longer, um, several studies in the post-antiretroviral therapy era have reported an increase in asthma prevalence among children with vertically acquired HIV infection. Interestingly, the risk paradoxically appears to increase with treatment for HIV, suggesting that immune restoration may increase asthma risk in children although this still remains somewhat unclear. There's really limited data regarding the risk of asthma among HIV-infected adults in the post-antiretroviral therapy era. Asthma does appear to be more prevalent in HIV-infected individuals compared to the general population. In some studies of adults, treatment of HIV was associated with reduced asthma prevalence, so clearly the asthma-HIV treatment association needs to be further explored. Regarding COPD, Several studies have consistently shown an increased prevalence of COPD among HIV-infected individuals in the post-antiretroviral therapy era. Worse immunosuppression, defined by lower CD4 or higher viral load, seems to increase the odds of a COPD diagnosis. From these data, it seems as though HIV infection is strongly associated with COPD and treatment for HIV with antiretroviral therapy may mitigate
0: some of this risk. Thanks, Brad. For all the physicians listening, could you tell them what considerations they need to take into account when prescribing corticosteroids for obstructive lung disease in patients with HIV?
1: So the mainstays of inhaled therapy for obstructive lung diseases include inhaled corticosteroids, short and long-acting beta agonist, and long-acting muscarinic antagonist. Inhaled corticosteroid use in the HIV-infected population really warrants particular caution. Ritonavir, a protease inhibitor used at low doses to boost levels of other protease inhibitors, is a potent inhibitor of the cytochrome P450 pathway. Inhaled corticosteroids are metabolized through the same pathway. So recent reports highlight the well-established observation of concomitant ritonavir and inhaled corticosteroid use, resulting in symptomatic hypercortisolism. The range of symptoms seen in HIV-infected individuals on boosted ritonavir regimens and inhaled corticosteroids include things like fatigue, weight gain, truncal obesity, hirsutism, overt Cushing syndrome, and osteonecrosis of the hip. These effects have occurred with fluticasone, budesonide, and to a lesser extent, beclomethasone. Fortunately, these adverse side effects appear reversible with cessation of the inhaled steroid. In fact, the most recent update of the antiretroviral treatment guidelines in 2013 advised avoidance of co-administration of ritonavir-based antiretroviral therapy with either inhaled budesonide or fluticasone unless the benefits clearly outweigh the risks. The recommendation was not made for inhaled beclomethasone. Current pulmonary guidelines for treatment of asthma and COPD do not suggest specific modifications to therapy in the setting of antiretroviral therapy. We feel that in asthma, where inhaled corticosteroids are first-line therapy for disease, not controlled with short-acting beta agonists, the lowest efficacious dose of inhaled corticosteroid should be preferentially used, and regular assessment for hypercortisolism symptoms should occur. In COPD, we think it's reasonable to consider long-acting muscarinic antagonists as first-line inhaled therapy over steroid-containing regimens.
0: Thanks, Brad. Yeah, definitely some clear take-home messages there. Okay, for my final question, um, looking ahead somewhat, could you tell me what further research is needed to better understand HIV-associated obstructive lung diseases?
1: There are still many unanswered questions surrounding obstructive lung disease and HIV infection. Some of these include things like should the diagnosis of obstructive lung disease among HIV patients be approached differently than in HIV-uninfected patients? Current guidelines do not recommend screening spirometry to detect COPD among asymptomatic smokers in the general population, but given the high prevalence of unrecognized spirometric and DLCO abnormalities among HIV-infected persons, there may be benefit in broader screening of all HIV-infected smokers regardless of symptoms. Another question, does early treatment with antiretroviral therapy modify lung function decline in HIV-infected individuals? Similarly, what are the anticipated versus abnormal CAT scan findings in HIV-infected individuals free of acute respiratory diseases? We don't know what are the best modalities to distinguish exacerbations of obstructive lung disease from acute respiratory infections in HIV. And to address these questions, I think both longitudinal and clinic-based studies of HIV cohorts at risk for lung disease are really needed. With these cohorts, long-term clinical and physiological outcomes can be better understood, and randomized controlled trials of different inhaled therapies for obstructive lung disease among HIV-infected individuals can be conducted. Ultimately, these studies can help pulmonologists, general practitioners, and infectious disease physicians deliver optimal care for lung disease to the HIV-infected individual in the post-antiretroviral
0: therapy era. Brad Drummond, thank you for taking the time to speak with me for the Lancet Respiratory Medicine.
1: Thank you very much.